welcome to this episode of The Making of an Exception. If this is your first time tuning in, this podcast is for anyone who's looking to be inspired, to gain new perspective on life, or is aspiring to live out their faith in whatever field you find yourself in. Each week, we'll be interviewing influencers and creatives who are exceptions to the rule. The fact that they've gone through what they've gone through, walked through the challenges and pain that they have, and have been gifted the way they've been gifted is what makes them an exception. Our goal is that you'd hear this story today and you'd be inspired and challenged to be an exception in the making. If this podcast has impacted your life, you can help support by going to our website, exceptionpodcast.co, and clicking the Patreon link or by finding it in the show notes. Thank you so much for your support, and thanks for listening. listening to the making of an exception podcast and today we've got a special guest it's susan blunt welcome susan thank you so much for being here today well thank you for asking me to be part of your podcast yes we're honored to have you and uh for those of you that don't know susan is the managing partner of the blunt collective uh which is uh you're in mark you do marketing you do storytelling you help with branding consulting coaching uh yeah again you can probably explain it better all that that company does yeah i think that uh it's really about uh platforms really for organizations and for individuals and really understanding what is your message and how best to get that out so uh sometimes you use uh, visuals sometimes words sometimes podcasts sometimes but there's a lot of different media that's used to do that but it's helping people to really understand uh, what their message is and who it is they're trying to speak to and how best to do it. That's great. Uh, when we're done with this episode, you can tell us everything that we're doing wrong and how to make it better. <laughs> no, you're doing <laughs> we'll a great take, job. We'll take, all job. Of, we'll take all of your advice. <laughs> how long has Blunt Collective been around? Uh, I would say that Blunt Collective has been around in one way or another for probably 55 years. <laughs> no. <laughs> I would say it's been a... Um, it's been something without a name. It's yep. been something that I've done um, off and on for many years, I would say, more uh, more strategically yep. um, in probably the last 10 to 15 years. Yeah, yeah. amazing. What's, what's your favorite part of what you do in Blunt Collective? Uh, if you had to pick one of the, all, all the things that you do, uh, I said marketing, storytelling, branding, all that, what's your favorite thing that you're spending time with? I think my favorite thing that I spend time with is spending time with organizations and leaders and understanding the vision and the direction of that organization and uh, being able to hear from them what they believe that God's called them to do and hearing the stories um, that people need to hear and know. I think I really love to hear the journey of an organization, the journey of people. So getting to hear people's stories feels like a... uh, it's a gift and a blessing, and I feel like it's uh, it's always holy ground. Yeah, for sure. And that's what we're trying to do here is share as many stories as possible. But I feel like you should be interviewing me. And that's usually <laughs> what I do. So this is a very unusual chair for me yes. to be in. So just tell me the questions that I should ask you. And I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. You've been doing this longer than I have. And you're a pro at pulling out stories from people. And I've known, I've known you and your husband, Steve, uh, since me starting in ministry uh, after school, started at the Oaks. And... 
uh, what, Steve was business administrator or yeah, I think it CFO, was like the CFO. Or yeah. CFO at yeah. Oaks yeah. Yes. and under Pastor Scott Wilson. Yeah. And that was and, the first church that he was ever on a staff of. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So first that's one. where he left finance. Yes. Yeah. So, so uh-huh. side note of who your husband is. Yes. Is, well, he's amazing. And he's the CFO at River Valley now. Yes, he is. Where, where I work. Yeah. And, um, but, but he was doing finance before mm-hmm. that. International mm-hmm. finance. Yes. He's mm-hmm. the coolest guy ever. I just found He's out today cool. separately before yeah. we started rolling that he yeah. grew up on a farm. Yes, he did. Which yeah. is just, it's amazing. Farmer to international finance to CFO at a church. That's Steve Blunt. A lot more common themes there than you realize. So, yes, sounds really different, but uh, the way he thinks, the way he lives, the way he perceives, you know, all part of that family of origin and those early days. How long mm-hmm. have you guys been married? 35 years. Congrats. That's awesome. And your family. Tell us about your family. You've got uh, children. Yeah, I have two amazing sons. Uh, Drew is our younger son. He's 30. He works for One Hope. He and his wife. His his wife is from Hong Kong. Yeah. So she's Hong Kongese. And uh, he's actually over the marketing for the Kids Bible app. So he does the global marketing for that. So Wait, like you version Kids Bible app? Yeah. Yes. I didn't even, I guess I didn't even realize that. Yes. That One Hope helped bring that about. Yes. Yes. No way. Yeah, that's a partnership with One Hope and Life Church U version. So he, yeah. he so he oversees the marketing for yeah, that. The global marketing. So as a, it's I don't know how many languages. I'm sorry and to all say that. I don't know how yeah. many languages it's in right now. But as they do that and move into new markets, they have to find how do they through uh, SEO and digital marketing and all those things, how yep. best to help people know that it's now in their market and available. And so that's his job. Are you ever consulting for One Hope on that? Or no. does he just call you? He like, calls Mom, me. I need <laughs> <Yeah>. help. <laughs> yeah. He calls me. Wow, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. And also a separate note, is it called Hong Kongese? Hong Kongese. Really? Yes. Yeah, she's Hong Kongese. Yeah. yeah. She's from first generation Christian in her family. No way. And uh, she works for One Hope. She's part of, she's a CP, almost a CPA, has a master's degree in accounting came yeah. to Christ in the U.S. Yep. And uh, so they, so her job is she goes, she does the auditing. She's part of the auditing team for One Hope. And she goes, yep. she's getting ready to leave for India. So she goes into the countries and audits the work and sees how the money is being spent and gathers the stories and then brings them back. So are they yeah. doing a lot of traveling? Uh, she does a good bit of traveling. Does. Yeah, he doesn't do as much because, yep. you know, you don't have to go to those places to figure out the marketing. But he talks yeah, with people all, all over the world. And they have a brand new baby. He's Mighty Titus. And he's his six name's m- Titus? Yes, his name is Titus. Strong and he's, uh, name. Yeah, and he's a strong boy. Yes. And he's six months old. Six so, months. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Our second daughter, Ivy, she's two months old. We'll call her Strong Ivy because she's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although, although we forgot about tummy time this time around, oh. so this is our second child. It's a little embarrassing. My wife's embarrassed. But we, uh, she she should be close to holding her head up now, yeah. and it's just not happening. So she will. She, she will. She'll figure it out. Yeah. But yeah. she's she's strong. She looks strong. We'll say that. She's pretty chunky. Well, so. Titus looks uh, quite strong. <laughs> so is. if you were to, you know, of course, they post pictures on you know Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, and he's quite large, and so yes. he's very strong. Yes. Yeah, so uh, you know, her mom doesn't speak any English, um, and so our daughter-in-law's mom doesn't speak English. Oh, and got so, it. I, yeah, th- I thought you know, were talking about your daughter. No, she speaks like, both wow. Mandarin, you know, she speaks yeah. Mandarin okay. and Cantonese. Yeah. And so, uh, so when Titus was born, yep. they were there in the hospital room. I was in the hospital room. And of course they said, he looks just like us. And I said, no, 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 he looks just like you. No way. So it's fun to see, uh, you know, 
when your when your kids marry people from other countries and you get yeah. a chance to see that beautiful blending of who your kids become. Yes, mm-hmm. my my older brother is adopted from Guatemala, uh-huh. yeah. and he married a Puerto Rican, and uh-huh. so there you go. Yeah. Our daughter's yeah. cousins are going to mm-hmm. be full blood Hispanic. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. going to be awesome. So, Well, our older son is yep. 33. So that was your younger son. That's our younger son. At One yeah. Hope. Yep. And our older son is 33, and his wife is Kenyan from Nairobi. Yeah. And uh, she's Punjabi, so yep. she's Indian, but fourth-generation Kenyan. And wow. so, uh, and they have two kids. Yep. They have three-year-old Xander, and then they have Anna, who's nine months old. And they don't live in Kenya. No, they live in Miami. Okay, yeah. yeah they live in Miami. And so our son is in mining. Yep. He was uh, in hedge funds and those kinds of things. And now he's in mining and uh, travels all over the world. He was the CEO of a mining company in Vietnam. And, what? Uh, yeah, and just negotiated uh, some changes there. But he travels all over and he focuses on precious metals and those things. Okay. So two high-level yeah. sons yeah. and families. D- was that always their how was that always their trajectory like and how did you raise mm-hmm. sons that now are living high level cuz we'll get we'll get into your story yeah. Yeah. the life you've lived yeah. which is high level itself yeah. but i would say how that how did that happen um you know my dad uh my dad was over the pacific rim in the americas for oracle computers and so uh, traveled all over yeah. he was over third party marketing logistics um those kinds of things. So he wasn't over yeah. all of Oracle. I don't mean that, but over his yeah. division. And so he traveled all over the world and he brought them money from everywhere, told them stories from everywhere. He, you know, he spoke a lot of, um, not languages completely, but he yeah. had a lot of business languages, you know, Kenishiwa and you, know, he's had a lot of different oh, yeah. languages. And so he helped instill in them, um, big dreams. And my dad's the only person in his family who went to college. And so he instilled in our sons, um, dream big dreams. And, uh, and I think that they did. Yes. And they're living in it. Yeah. And I think that was even when they were, you know, we raised them, uh, to even like, you know, everybody makes mistakes. And and so we never focused on those things. Even when they were growing up, we always focused on what would you do differently next time? What would you do differently next time? Even when they got into trouble, we always focused not on you're in trouble, but we focused on, wow, you don't want to be here again, do you? (laughs) And always focused on, uh, so if not this, then what? And how to make a different plan. So as your kids were growing up making mistakes at times, Mm -hmm. you found a way to correct with not squashing yes. the, yeah. you can, you can still you know, dream our, big. Your our mistakes don't son, define you. That's right. Our younger son, uh, when, uh, when he was 15 months old, we were in a horrible car accident. Yep. And so a man went through a red light, hit the side of our Just car. Just you two? Um, it was Duncan, who was four then. So yep. it was right after Christmas. And it was the three of us. Steve yep. wasn't with us. And so a man ran through the red light, hit the side of our car, and spun and spun and spun. And Drew flew out the back window. And so uh, sustained, no. uh, sustained a traumatic brain injury. So he hardened back up, went back into us. So he didn't, you know, he didn't read until the fourth grade. He didn't you know, write until the third grade, went to special schools. So it made our family different. It made us, uh, we never looked at what we couldn't do as a family. We always looked at what we could do. Yeah. What were our strengths? How can you, because everybody has weaknesses. And so our focus was always not a, you know, not a, not what are you not good at, but what did God give you uniquely yeah. that um, only you can bring? 
And so uh, Drew went to schools when he was little that taught that. I worked there for several years, and their whole purpose was they created teams, even when the kids were really little, made up of on the strengths of the individuals on the team. So that even as a 10-year-old, he learned very quickly he had something to bring. And every member on his end, it was was an extraordinary school. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like for your family after that car accident and seeing, or not just for your family, but for you as a mother, seeing your child go through something that traumatic affecting him and it it is it has changed your child it changed our family changed your whole family yeah changed changed our whole family how do you lead through that type of change mm. i mean that's I that's just imagine it's being, that's yeah. got to be one of the most yeah. painful things you've ever gone through in your life yeah and uh i would say uh the older that the older that we get if like it's drew's story not so much our story yeah but uh but i would say that um in that moment uh, you know, it's like our older son was only four, but, you know, Drew, uh, you know, he, he was in a coma. He didn't blink. He didn't. So a lot of, he didn't know who we were anymore. And it took years and years and years for him to walk again and do things again. And I think that, um, I just remember believing, you know, we were very young. We're buying our first house. We were very young. We weren't even 30. And so I just remember thinking we were going to do everything we knew how to do. And some of it was going to work and some of it wasn't, but we were going to do it all. And so, of course, during, you know, we were young. Steve had to keep working. And uh, people don't understand when you go through those kinds of things, you know, our four-year-old still needed before and have people come over to our house. We were helping plant a church. Yeah. You know, I was a children's pastor. So we had this whole life going on. And yet in a moment, everything changes. Yeah. And so uh, we just always believed um, that there was going to be a way. You know, he would have 40, 50, 60 seizures a day. I mean, we just always knew that... Uh, there was going to be a way and that God would have a plan. And that's part of how his wife came to Christ is that in college, he was telling his story. Really? And so she said she couldn't believe it could be true. You know, how could that happen to you? And here you are and you're going to college and you look like a normal kid and yeah. how can all this be? But the, the ability for him to work hard and the ability for him to find another way and to dream big dreams and know you have yeah. to work hard to get there. Um, you know, and it, I think one of the differences was also, you know, sometimes you go through periods of your life where you think, well, does God really have a plan for me? Yeah. And it was for us, we knew, in fact, he does, or the three of us would be gone. Yeah. You know, we would, we would be gone no if there wasn't a plan. Yeah, you could all so been dead. We could all been dead. Yeah. I don't mean to hone in yeah, just on this story okay. for me. Yeah. So I'm 29 years old as of recording this podcast, but so, and you said we weren't even 30 yet. No, we weren't even and 30. And I've got a three and a half year old. Yeah. So about the same age. Yeah, about the same. And I can't imagine. Yeah. And yeah. It, and I grew up great family. Yes. And I've got a, I feel like I've got a great foundation and relationship mm-hmm. with the Lord and hope, all that. You know, and the way that you described it, I mean, no doubt is it traumatic, but the way that you described it is like, yeah, we just knew it was going to be, it was going to be okay. God it was had hard. A plan. So yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was, as a mom, yes. I, I mean, yeah. Obviously, there mm-hmm. have to be moments of mm-hmm. desperate, like, like God's yeah. got to show I, up. This is for what this I would kid. say. I would say um, 
we saw the the best and the worst of the church during that time. Yeah, I would think that people gave us the platitudes, uh, pray about so sorry, this, and people would say, "Oh, we went to see you know Steve and Susan, and we came away stronger. We went to help them, and we came away stronger." If that ever happens, something's off, <laughs> because the fact is, um, we really weren't okay, and yeah. I it was very hard for my faith because. If I believed that God was omnipotent, then he knew. And if and when people would say how uniquely prepared we were, you know, that I was a teacher and that Steve was, you know, a, a business executive, that we were uniquely prepared for what was coming. So that's what people are telling yeah. you. And that's not, and I. God I, set you up for this tragedy. Yeah, he set you up for this. And I don't believe that to be. Yes. I believe that God walks with you through those things. And I yes. did have to get angry and struggle and fight it out with him and shout out to him and find a way um, to make it okay that he loved me and he knew he was with me and somehow it was going to be okay. And it's hard because yeah. through, you know, Drew's, Drew's journey has been hard. Yeah. Is, he has to work harder than everybody. He's very, very bright, but he's always had to work very hard. And yeah. so, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. You, um, knowing a little bit of your story and journey and you saying the, that about Drew, that moment ha- caused him to have to work harder Always. than everybody else. Yes, uh, just to get back to zero, even. Yes, and then to climb from yes. there. Yes, and praise God, I'm sure there's m- so many miracles along the oh, road. So many um, that have allowed him to become mm-hmm. uh, who he is mm-hmm. today. Um, but you, I know you can identify with that feeling of having to work harder than everybody else because of uh, just. Um, how, how you raise attention deficit yes. and just yes. some of the upbringing. Mm-hmm. I'd love for you, if you could mm-hmm. share what was life like for you as a child and growing up and finding that you there's uniqueness about you than everybody else too. Okay. And just try to rein in yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, navigate through this yeah. life. And yeah, it's just cool from what you're about to share, just how it parallels with being able to identify with your son that now yeah. has to work harder than anybody else. I think, um, you know, I was born very early, only weighed four pounds. Yep. And uh, so... Little. Little, little. Yeah. <laughs> Our first little. daughter was twice yeah. the weight. Yeah, so, so little, little. Yes. And uh, with wild red hair. And um, and I think that from the beginning, uh, very attention deficit. They just didn't know that that, you know, I'm almost 60. So they didn't know what those things... They didn't know what that was in those days. And so... They just thought you are Strong-willed, yeah, wild, and, energetic. And they just needed to wear me out. And yeah. that's what the doctor would tell them. So really? very, very athletic. I started running competitively when I was seven. So my dad, we lived in California, and they signed me up, and we went to... What do you mean competitively? Well, part of it with AAU. And so I went to try out to be part of a track team. At seven years at seven old. seven years old, yeah, in Walnut it's Creek. first grade. In California, it's first grade. It was the summer. I asked my dad the other day, how old was I? He said it was. He thinks it was the summer between kindergarten and first grade. And so... No. Uh, yeah. So because... Do they the, even have that anymore? Sorry, I keep interrupting. I don't but. know. I don't know <laughs> yeah, if they have no it idea. anymore. It's crazy. Yeah. But it was... The purpose was was to give my energy a focus. Yeah. <laughs> and so... <laughs> And so running, yes, well, you know, pretty good. So running and sports were a huge part of my life always. And my, I played every sport there was known to man that if they could just wear me out that possibly, but you know, growing up in school, uh, teachers didn't understand like they understand today. And, and I understood more when I had to help my son understand and then work on his behalf, because I remember being a kid who couldn't sit in the seat and. 
and uh, who didn't raise my hand and didn't pay good attention and because I, you know, and so, uh, so there's a lot of coping skills that I learned, yeah. even in, because, you know, reading is my passion, but even learning how to, you know, like on a textbook, how to read the end of the chapter and the questions first so that I could yep. build a scaffolding. Even I taught myself how to do that so I could build that before I read the chapter so that I would stay focused on. But I just had to learn how to do those things because I didn't know how to do them. So I uh, spent a lot of time. Second grade is the worst year I remember because all I remember about second grade is how cold the sidewalk was outside of the room because that's where I spent the whole the whole second grade writing sentences. And Wait, because you were in trouble? I was in trouble all the time. So, so they would, sent you outside? Yeah, so I would have to sit outside and write over and over and over again. I will are, not are get out of my Are we talking outdoors? Seat. Yeah, of course, in it was in California. It wasn't yeah. like here. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Still, Children are dying I, yeah. outside. <laughs> and so, yeah. So uh, it wasn't until I was teaching special ed kids myself yeah. that and trying to understand how best to know their strengths and their weaknesses that I understood more fully, even understanding periods and huge concepts in school that I had missed because of how much time I spent in trouble. Yes. And so I would have to come back into the classroom and the teacher wouldn't say, this is what we were doing while you were out. I would have to quickly to try up. to figure out yeah. what did you do while I was not here? And so, uh, so, but that's yeah. a, that's a skill it's a skill now. <laughs> it so, wasn't thin. <laughs> uh, quickly yes. jump, jump yeah. to professional yes. life. How is yeah. that an advantage? Oh, I, mean, I think huge rooms you walk into. Huge. Yeah. And I think that, um, when your attention deficit in some people learn this, some people don't is that I have to quickly cue from the people in the room. I have to understand who's there, where they're sitting, how they're taking notes, because I'm trying to understand um, what are the dynamics of the room. So I know best um, contextually how I need to present or listen or talk or understand. And I learned that growing up. So you're good at yeah. jumping in the middle of something yeah. and be able to figure out where we're at yeah. real quick. Yeah. It's amazing. It's very stressful, but yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 And yeah. it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of energy. Well, uh, yeah. What was life like uh, in middle school, high school? How did, yeah. And eventually, so, how did you get in the world yeah, so, today? Yeah, um, so you know, I grew up in Northern California. Mm-hmm. My mom and dad were both in computers. And, uh, did you grow up near Redwood Trees? Uh, not far from there, but I grew up about 45 minutes I've from I've never seen a redwood yeah. tree oh, in my kidding. life. So. Well, you need to go. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. There's I just, nothing When I think like, Northern California. Like, yeah, but when you stand next to a tree and you understand hundreds and hundreds of years it's been here, it's pretty It's pretty powerful. Yeah, it's but I grew up near San Francisco. Yeah, so, okay. uh Not far from San Francisco. Yeah. And so... Um, there are some redwood trees there, yes, but, you know, the Bay Area is, you know... Yeah, it's Bay. So, yeah. And so... Uh, so, um, you know, running was kind of my passion, and I yep. ran competitively from the time I was very young. And so uh, we moved to the San Joaquin Valley for middle school and high school. My parents mm-hmm. thought that getting us out of the out of the Bay Area with all, you know, everything that was happening during the early 70s and yep. late 60s, that they would somehow save us if yep. they could get us out of there. Of course, you know, moving us to the country didn't save us at all. So they did that for you, not yeah. because of a job transition? No, no, they did that. Interesting. They did that. My mom worked at the junior high, yep. and... Uh, they were they were worried that the the pace, the things that were taking place, the things that were going on, that we needed to move someplace. They thought the country, and of course, you know, in the country, kids just have more time to get into trouble. So you were, it was kind of like city to mm-hmm. then. Oh country. yes, absolutely. So yeah. so were your parents making that decision uh, because of their moral compass or yes. or because it was of their faith? 
Um, I would say both. Yeah. I would say, you know, I grew up always going to church. And uh, so I would say, I'd say both. I would say it was moral. It was, my parents have a unique, um, they're uniquely understanding of culture. Yeah. And so, you know, my dad used to bring uh, people, you know, back in the 60s, he would bring you know, people, he'd pick people up on the Golden Gate Bridge or the and bring them home and they'd stay with us. And no way. So we, so I grew up with having, a, during the, you know, Jesus culture and all of those things and having yeah. a lot of those hippies who had come to Christ stay in our home, yeah. sleep on our floor. and Jesus culture today means the yeah. band. Yes, different but, then. But yeah. J- Jesus movement or... The Jesus uh, movement, yeah. 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 When, and free love and when people were just coming, you know, people were just starting to come back to Jesus in a new way. Yeah. And so, um, you know, my dad would pick them up and bring them home bring and they'd home. stay at our house. And, yeah. yeah. So you grew up in a, in a Christian home, mm-hmm. faithful mm-hmm. home. Yes. And, yes. uh, that since you remember that was faith has always been always, what has yes. your journey been like? Um, just in your personal relationship mm-hmm. with the Lord, your personal mm-hmm. faith. I think, uh, uh Again, I think my parents shaped that a lot. I think, you know, during high school, I, you know, I was a cheerleader in student council. I was a foreign exchange student. If you could, I did all those things. And I went to the dances, which was a big deal growing up because we grew up Southern Baptist. And uh, my dad, his, his, his question always was, is uh, just remember where you want to be found when he returns. Yeah. Just remember where you want to be found. And so, uh, so differently than parents who would say, you can't go, you can't do, you can't date, you can't. My yeah. parents never said those things. I yeah. never had a curfew. I probably should have, but I never <laughs> had a curfew. Yes. That uh, they had a great deal of trust that I would make wise decisions. Yeah. And sometimes I did and sometimes I didn't. Yeah. But for me, I went away to college. I was a foreign exchange student my senior year of high school to the Netherlands. Yeah. And then uh, came back and only graduated mid-year and went on to college. And so... Uh, so Amazing. How long yeah. were, you, were you in the Netherlands? Nine months. Nine, Nine months. months. Mm-hmm. And graduated... I, I also graduated yeah. a semester yeah. early. There you go, me too. Not because yeah. I'm smart, but yeah. because we <laughs> yeah. moved schools and yes. I had too well, many credits. Well, my parents uh, promised me they wouldn't move because, you know, they wouldn't move while I was away. Yeah. And so when I got back from the Netherlands, the moving truck was already in front ready of our go. house. And I got out of the car, and my dad did his little arm up for the moving van to go away, and uh, and they moved back to the to the San Francisco Bay Area. No and way. so uh, so I graduated. Had to help raise money for the next foreign exchange student, and so yeah. I stayed long enough to help do that, and then I went on to college. Yeah. I went to UC Santa Barbara, yeah. and so uh, I would say that uh, that's where I understood Jesus in a different way. Yeah. That. Um, most kids go away to college and become wild. Yep. I went away to college and became part of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and yep. realized there was a God I didn't know anything about, yeah. that he wasn't the God of all the things you can't do, that yeah. there was this amazing God who was gonna, who was hope, who was encouragement, who was love, who wasn't waiting for me to mess up. Yes. <laughs> he, he was already for me and not yeah. against me. Yeah, wow. And so I went away to college and found a new Jesus, and my faith changed. Yeah, and so in a in a mighty and powerful so way. So it, it was a brand new church experience. Mm-hmm. Your church experience up until that point was kind of the do's and don'ts. I would say it was more about the do's and the don'ts. Yeah, yeah. because because my parents let me go to dances and the things they let me do, I was always on the outside. Yeah, I was like a bad kid who wasn't necessarily a bad kid. You're but like yeah, a bad church kid. Yeah. 
Yeah. That was the perspective. <laughs> yeah. You're at yeah. church, but you're doing all the things that church kids shouldn't, shouldn't do. be doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't go to a movie. Yes. Oh, yeah. And well, we could go to <laughs> Baptist, could go to movies. We just couldn't dance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, you better not <laughs> yeah. start dancing. Yeah. yeah it's crazy. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned a bunch of things in high school okay. that uh, you were a part of um, just filling your schedule. And part of that might be, you know, the way you're raised of like, got to get the energy out, you know, and knowing you today, somebody that I feel like, uh, comes across as high energy or or really driven and yeah. fit your calendar's full. Your the life you and your husband lead is a full life, um, which is amazing. Even even with family, even just family, like you yes. have a full family life. I know you guys are great grandparents and proud of your grandkids. Love your grandkids, but living a a full life in in high school and and when you were younger, were you filling your calendar because? It was the same, like, I just got, I want to get this energy out, and that's what you're encouraged? Or was it because uh, you're just a driven person, and that's what you're doing? Mm-hmm. Was it because if, you, if you're if you not doing something, then you're not worth something? Yes. I think I, and I'd say it's something I still live with every day, is that I am not my performance. And I yeah. think uh, that's, you know, you think about uh, the chains that people have and that there's a constant, there's a, um, it's not like you break free from all those things and you're free forever. There's a, you know, life is really a cycle and a journey and there's at each new juncture, I have to find again to understand, um, how to walk in the fullness of who God called me to be and how not to be what I am or what I do. But I think that, um, that there's a part of the drive in me that I'm learning even now to deal with still, yeah. that I am not what I produce. Yeah. I'm worthy just because I am. And yes. I think that that's a constant journey for me. And I, uh, it's a, it's the demon in my head. Yeah, yeah. Always, always, always that voice. Always. So yeah. how, the, for who you are now, how have you built into your life uh, opportunity for you to do nothing? Or is it just you always, I would just, say. You're just fighting the voice. Uh, I would say, you know, I would say that I'm that a majority of the time I'm fighting the voice. Yeah. That there's a, you know, I really do believe. A lot of times people believe that uh, the battle that we have with Satan is for our hearts. Yeah. I believe that for some of us it's our mind, and yeah. I believe that my battle is my mind. Yeah. And that if I can think I'm not good enough, if I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not very sure of myself. I'm. I will always be that little kid who is in trouble all the time. Yeah. And there's. There's, I can always see um, what more could be done. I can yep. always see how to do it better. I can, so I grew up always setting the buy hard, yep. high. And if I could reach it, I must have not set it high enough. Yep. And I, when I was in high school, um, I trained with the college track team. Yep. And so the um, the coach had a time, and my I, I was just with my parents, so a lot of this is fresh in my mind. Yes. And, and uh, they. Uh, he, I had a place I had to be by five o'clock in the morning on my run for that. And if I wasn't there by that time, one time, then he wouldn't coach me anymore. And so my dad said he could remember seeing the light come on underneath him looking outside and seeing, was it rainy? Was it foggy? Was it knowing it didn't matter if it was raining or there was no, I had to be at that certain point because I did my distance training before school and my sprint training after school. And so I had to be at that certain point on the run before school that day. And he, so everyone else is going to school. Like everyone's, you know, 
being high school yeah. kids. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> running. Yeah. And he, uh, and then when he met me, he would hand me my workout for the afternoon. Yeah. And so all day I would be looking at the times, the splits, the what, because, and it wasn't the, from the time I was very young, the competition wasn't somebody else. The competition was me. Yep. How to be better than me. Yeah, you're fighting yourself. Yeah, fighting myself, which I still fight myself. And yes. so it was always, I wasn't trying to be faster than somebody else. I, I was trying to be faster than I was yesterday. Yes. I was trying to be stronger than I was yesterday. Yeah. I was trying to be better, my form, my better than yesterday. Not anybody else, but myself. And the way you were trained was with no room for error. No room for error. No room for error. Yeah. Have you adjusted in life as you fight yourself, as, uh, as the, you're kind of the mind? Well, I think uh, when I, huge part of the story is, so I went to UC Santa Barbara and yeah. I flunked out. And so which, So there's the error. Yeah, whew, big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I went there and the intensity of the University of California system, you know, people wouldn't eat. They'd stay up all night. And somehow they could party and, and go to the beach and surf yeah, and, and stay up all night and for days and like study for days and days and days. And so, you know, I graduated in the top 10 of my class. I should have, I, but I got there and I, I couldn't do it. And so, uh, so I was flunking out of school and I didn't know what to do. And I told my parents, went home to my parents, I wasn't made for college. Yeah. My dad said, oh, yes, you're made for college. I said, no, I said, I, I don't think so. So they, I had to get off of academic probation before I could come home. So, uh, so and I had never, I mean, that was like, I mean, so now I'm dumb? Like, how do I, how am I going to do happened? this? Yeah. yeah. And so I came home and, uh, and I, and my, you know, my dad said, so it's okay to come home, but now you know, you have to pay your bills. You have to, cause at first I thought I was going to come home and sleep. I was very yeah. depressed. And my dad woke me up one morning and said, here's your, here's your car payment. Here's your insurance payment. Here's your, I'm thinking you're going to need to get up and get a job. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I got up and got a job and I got three jobs. No. And so I took out a job doing uh, windows for a dress store. So I, yeah. you know, I was making, you know, it was a Northern California, so I was making microchips. I mean, I was working day and night, and uh, and having to take classes because somehow, you know, the other part of the deal was I could come home if I would take English. I had to yep. take English so that I could, you know, write the language. And so, uh, so I think that what God has allowed me to do many times in my life, because then, of course, you know, I met and married Steve, who's really smart. When and, did you meet him? I uh, met old Steve. How old was I? I guess 22. As 20, he sits in the room yeah, and watches his I, wife. Yeah, I think 20, he brings 22. A, yeah. So Steve was in graduate school, and uh, I was on staff at North Phoenix Baptist Church yeah. in Phoenix, Arizona, and at that time was huge, you know, 26,000 members, and I yeah. was going to Arizona State. And uh, my deacon came over and told me, you know, there's a young guy behind you, and, you know, he's here to go to Thunderbird, which is, you know, this very prestigious graduate school, and introduce yourself to him. He's far from home. He's from Georgia. And the Thunderbird. Yeah, Thunderbird, yeah. <laughs> so it's an international school of business. It's only, a, yeah. it's only a graduate school and only for international business. Wow. You have to be fluent in a language, and so very intense school. Is Steve fluent in a language? Yes, he was. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah it's a we conversation have, that's a whole for another other conversation. We have a lot of jokes about that, but wow. that's another conversation. And so uh so I introduced myself to him 
And that's how I met him. So in those days, you know, they made, I turned around and in those days in church, you know, the visitor stood up and (laughs) if you're a visitor, please stand up. (laughs) And so he stood up. We're going to embarrass you in front of everybody. That's right. And I introduced myself to him and uh, we went on our first date, which was a big ski trip in February and we were married by June. What? it was pretty fast. Yeah. And, and, uh, and you've been married for 35 years. 35 years. Yeah. See? And very, we grew up really different. He grew up, you know, in the very rural, rural South. And I grew up, you know, just outside of San Francisco. So God really speaking different. to somebody listening right yeah. now, just yeah. propose already. You never know who you're sitting by in church <laughs> and who you're going to introduce yourself to. Yes. You never know. You never That's know. awesome. Yeah. That's crazy. But, uh, so, and I went, the only reason I went to graduate school, undergraduate school was so hard and we were living in Los Angeles and our older son was six months old and yep. Steve came home from work and handed me, uh, the graduate school admissions papers. And he said, you're just, it's time for you to go back to school. And so I said, I can't, I'm not smart enough. And, uh, he sat with me with the GRE, you know, the examination book and taught me, uh, page by page by page. And so I took the graduate, you know, records admissions exam, got into graduate school, went to Vanderbilt, first went to UCLA, then Vanderbilt, got a 4.0, you know, so. You're not dumb. Not dumb. Hmm. It's amazing. (laughs) But I didn't know that. Maybe I just needed a better teacher. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. Yeah. I I feel the same way a little bit. I've never been great in school, although my parents have always said, no, Mm -hmm. you can do it. You can for sure do it. Um, I've, I've learned how I learn mm-hmm. and have navigated yes. that. But I think there'll be a day where God says, get back in school mm-hmm. or finish. And it's a crazy yeah. thing because I was really afraid to. Yeah. But it was necessary for me to face it and work my way. It was really necessary for my life. And of course, then later on with my son, it was yep. necessary for me to face the things I was most afraid of and to face those places where I had failed in order to understand uh, you can do it a different way and, yep. and you don't have to be your failure. God can take this and redeem it and find a new way for you. Hey, I'm just jumping into the middle of this interview uh, to quickly give a shout out to our brand new patron, somebody that supports this podcast financially. And here's a shout out. It's Perry Smith. Thanks so much for making this podcast happen. We're so grateful for your generosity and want you to know that if you're listening and you'd like to support this podcast as well, you can give $5 a month and we'll give you a shout out. You can give $10 a month. We'll give you a shout out and a free coffee mug. Also, at the end of every episode, the guests will share their favorite book of all time. If you'd like a free book given to you, you can go to exceptionpodcast.co forward slash audible. What, what was your, so graduate studies, what was the degree? Um, I have human development. So my master's degree is in human development. And so the goal was to get out of that and do what? I didn't really have a goal. Yeah, I just think, to graduate. Uh, I've always been fascinated by, um, I've even, because my undergraduate degree is in early childhood development. And yeah. so I wrote, you know, my master's thesis was on the perceptual skills of infants and newborns. Yes. And so I've always been fascinated by how people learn, yeah. by what they do, what they do, how they communicate, how they, because there's always, uh, there's always a reason behind why people do what they do, how they learn, how they perceive, how they think. And so, uh, so that was, uh, and I don't know that I had a, 
I don't know that I had a specific goal. I just knew I was fast. I've, three times I've started my PhD in psychology, and then because uh, you know we've moved a lot, I never really got to finish. Yeah. And so uh, one time I waited seven years before my my PhD units almost ran out to go back and see again. But yeah. you know there's uh, there's so there's a part of me that needs to do that, and then yeah. there's a part of me uh, that doesn't. Yeah. And so uh, I you know. But I think God takes those failures in our life, and uh, if we allow Him and we move into what makes us the most afraid, He can redeem those. Somebody and, needs to give you an honorary. Yeah, degree. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> Somebody, please. <laughs> that'd be good. I'll take it. Yeah, no, no, it's awesome. Uh, yeah. I just watched the Mister Rogers uh, I movie. I haven't seen I, that yet, but I've heard so much about it. I feel like yeah. it's right up your alley. I feel like you're you were probably best friends with Mister Rogers. Probably so. Probably <laughs> Seriously, so. yeah, uh, yeah. It is. It is interesting to think, even what you're talking about, early childhood like in development that every person even people um you know that are that are in their 60s that they are the way they are for a reason oh you know? and el- always do you think always. do you think um do you think people are the way they are more because of how they were made by god or more what they've gone through in life i think i think it's really a mixture of those things yeah um I think uh, your family of origin is really, really important. Yep. Um, whether you re- realize that or embrace it or understand it or not, it isn't good, it isn't bad, it just is what it is. Yeah. And so um, I think that that there's a bent that God gives you, yep. but that he allows you to make choices and decisions on your own. That's, you know, that's... That's you know the gospel. There's yeah. your <laughs> <Yeah>. theological <laughs> yeah. lesson today. No, so, it's great. Yeah, so I, I agree. think that we are this extraordinary blend of free will yep. and how He designed us to be. Yeah, and that's the beauty of that, and the embracing that and knowing He can redeem the dark places, but you still need to lean in and embrace them because there's something there's you need to be I I think it's really important I believe that leaders people and everyone yeah. leads whether you think you're a leader or not everyone's leading somebody yeah. even if it's your 2 year old everyone's yeah. leading someone or just leading yourself yes or leading yourself and I think in order to do that a leader has to know themselves yeah. and it's important to understand that where the darkness is that Satan is always watching and waiting. You know, yep. I think about the wounds of our lives, and it's like this little scab or this little place that he just, he just will not leave it alone. And if yep. you don't understand it, if you don't know where it is, you don't know where you're vulnerable. And sometimes we think, oh, I'm, I'm done with that, yeah. that that was when I was 15 or when I was 20 or, you know, it's yeah. behind me now. But it, but it's not. It really yeah. is woven into who you are. And so the understanding that Satan waits yeah. for that moment when that place where you're vulnerable, you're not watching, yeah. that uh, and he quietly, little by little, moves back in. You know, it's like that yeah. water dripping, dripping, or that scab. It's just, yeah. And then he waits for that moment to lean in. And then before you realize it again, you're back in the middle of that darkness just because yeah. you weren't willing to understand, and that is who, that's part of who I am, good or bad, redeemed, reconciled, the blood is over it, but you still have to be aware that it's there. Yeah. Um, what about for somebody that's like, I'm trying to find out who I am? I just don't know where I don't know where to start. How how do you figure out who you are? Um, you know, do you have to go to school 
get a degree. No. My dad's doctorate yeah. was yeah. Uh, on finding your authentic voice and had to do mm-hmm. a lot with family of origin. Mm-hmm. He's passionate about helping people f- yeah, find out their authentic voice. But mm-hmm. how does somebody, where do you start? Who, who am I? Why am I this way? You just get a counselor. I don't know if you have an answer. Yeah, I don't know if I have a great answer for that. I yeah. think that it's a journey. Yeah. And I think that... Um, I think you have to be willing to try things that you aren't good at, things that make you scared, things that make you afraid. You have to find time to reflect. I think that a couple of things. I think uh, it's important to have people in your life that you can ask, so what am I good at? Yeah. I think that really it's very hard. Like I can't even tell. I know I'm really short, but I can't really tell, am I? Yeah. <laughs> like I'm always, I don't as much anymore, but you say, ask Steve, am I that tall? Am I, because I couldn't like quite. Like when you see pictures of yourself? Yeah, I'm or, thinking, yeah. I see that, I think, oh my gosh, I had no idea I was that short. And I've been this short, you know, since I was 10. I, last time I yeah. grew, I was 10. <laughs> I was tall then. <laughs> and so I keep, so that it's really hard for us to see ourselves. You know, they talk about how you can't hear your own voice. Yeah. That the you, you're not you can't hear how you sound. It's just not possible the way that well, God designed us. When I listen to this podcast, it yeah. doesn't sound like me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I and it won't. I yeah. mean, but I. I but have a I, cold today, yeah. so. But I bear think with it's me. really. I don't think. I think it's very difficult to see yourself in an unbiased yeah. way, and I think you have to have people in your life that you can, and then you have to be able to reflect, listen, learn, try things you're not quite sure of, see things that you like to do. And yep. I really do, I really do believe you have to ask God to bring people, events, and circumstances in your life that can help you to see and know. Yeah. And then you have to be watching. You have to yeah. be watching that, but it's, but I, and Steve and I have talked about that in the past. If you're searching for it, you won't find it. Yeah. You really have to be searching for God, searching for Him, yep. and uh, you no, know. No, I think that I think that's great. I mean, what you're saying is we're bad, we're bad at judging ourselves, yes. and bad yes. at grading ourselves. Yes, you know, two people with identical stories, which that never happens. But one could say, "Man, yeah, I'm a five out of ten. You know, another could be like, "I'm a seven out of ten. One could say, "I'm two yes. out of ten. Yeah, just because. I just bad at I, judging there. Yeah, themselves. I don't think that you're. I just so when you talk about when I think I talk so much about leader, know thyself, know thyself, know thyself. Because yeah. if you don't know where you're vulnerable, you don't know, you don't know where you need to shore up. You don't know yeah. what kind of people you need in your life. You don't yep. know what skills you need to learn. You 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 also have to be willing to hear the hard things. Yep. And so if you're not willing to hear the hard things about who you are and where you need to grow, you're not going to grow. You're, yeah. you're, you've topped out, that yeah. you've got to be able to, and I've heard so much lately, and I believe this to be true, that you can tell the strength of the leader by the people around him who he's willing to really listen to. How many people can tell you no? Interesting. How many yeah. people can tell you no? And yep. I think that there's something, and I think we're living in a culture where uh, we're where people sometimes are surrounded by people who who yes them yeah. versus people who lean in and say no. Yeah. And I think that um, always in your life, you've got to have people. Uh, for some people, it's their spouse. Yeah. For some people, it's a good friend. For some people, it's a counselor. For yeah. some people, but having someone who you give the authority, the permission to tell you um, 
the unfiltered truth about what they see, yeah. um, it strengthens you. Yeah. It's hard to hear those things, but it also really strengthens you. And I want to know, I'm going to do 150%, the very best I know to do. Please yeah. tell me if there's something else yes. I can do. Do yeah. not make me waste my time doing not the right thing or doing it in a way that's not most beneficial or not. Help. Please, yeah. I'm going to give, I'm all in. Just yeah. help me to know if there's a way for me to do it better. Yeah. And and what you just expressed to me sounds like an employee to a boss, like saying, let me know if I'm not doing this right. But but I think what you're actually saying is even as the boss, as the leader, yes, to say to the people that you oversee, please let me know if I'm think, not doing it right. I think that's saying help me to know how best to lead you. Yes. Because I think that. Um, same thing with your kids. Yep. You know, my sons are really, really different. My grandkids are different. Yep. I'm needing to understand. I always had to understand. I had to be a different parent to my sons. Yeah. They needed different things. Even as adults, they need different things from me. Yeah. And so I have to understand what it is that I can give each of them separately yep. so that they can be all that God called them to be. To lead them I, uniquely. Yes. Yeah. And that's... So even... Uh, you, I think that's just... Yeah. Um, do you think it's good leadership to have as many people as possible telling you no? Because uh, part of it is like, yeah. not not telling you no, but just the no, I think feedback. It, I think that they, I think no. Yeah. I think that, um, I think that a leader who gets, they start to be tossed by the wind. And I think that you have to choose in your life um, every person, leader or not, you know, yeah. every person has to choose a handful of people who who are journeying with you, yep. who you can trust to do that. And you need to understand if they're just like you, if yeah. they're journeying the same as you, if they're on the same journey as you, probably not the right people. Yeah. You need to be looking at a cross-section of people yeah. who are um, some behind you, some beside you, some in front of you, who are different ages, yep. different cultural backgrounds, different, so that they're helping make you better fully, not yep. just better just like me. But And if you're asking someone who's just like you or you understand what I'm trying to say, you yeah. need to be looking for that group of people that you trust who can yeah. help you to do that, that come from a variety of backgrounds yeah. so that uh, so that you're honing those things in the best way possible. I'm not trying to be the best version of someone else. I'm trying to be the best version that God has for me. Yeah. And, it's and gonna, you get that feedback, not just from people that look like you, yes. but from all yes. walks of Yes, and not people who just agree with me. Yeah. You know, I think that... We sometimes have to understand. I have a lot of different kinds of friends, yeah. a lot of different kinds, and our family has a lot of different kinds of people in our family, yeah. and they all make me better. Yeah, because I I have to understand great. Um, that there's a there's a way we're still all journeying together, even though we're really different, yeah. and they have different insights and things I might not understand. Help me be better. Yeah, and so. I have to hear hard things and trust those hard things and listen to them, but you can't. You have to be uh, very discerning. Yeah. You have to choose the right people. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I think I think you are an amazing leader. Uh, and everything that you say, uh, I'm not saying that to flatter you. I, but, um, and again, I haven't known you, uh, but I've known you guys from a distance, and I've known you from a distance, and I know how many people look up to you. Um, but even hearing your journey of upbringing and some of your education, uh, it doesn't sound like you've had 
you didn't go to leadership school, no. <laughs> but you're, but you have great leadership insight. Um, what, if you didn't go to school for leadership, strategic leadership or whatever, uh, what has been your education to become the leader that you are? I know just your experience in life mm-hmm. and the insights you picked up. Also, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a really big learner. Yeah. And so, um, so I'm constantly listening um, both to secular and Christian voices yep. who are leading, yep. and um, and I and I, I want to hear what they're saying, how they're saying it, how people follow them. I'm always looking to see not someone who has a title of a leader, yep. but someone who is um, who is transformationally changing something, yeah. and being able to understand. So how do they make that happen? Yep. Who is the team around them? How do they choose that team? Um, so I read everything. I listen. I must. I am a. So the human development pieces and all those things. I'm a. I study human behavior. Yeah. And I'm constantly trying to learn. So why? Why? Yeah. Why? Why? And uh, and I and I do. I have read a lot of books. And I. Yeah. You know, I did all the stuff to become a. You know, a coach. And I've been. I'm licensed and certified to do all kinds of. You know, testing for. EQ and yeah. you know all kinds of you know Myers Briggs and all that kinds of stuff. I went through all this because I ENFP. Yeah, right that's here. right. There you go. Because I'm that's what I'm an ENFP driven to understand in the room who are the people that are here. How are they going to hear? Yeah. What are they going to bring to the table? And um, and so uh, and I think it's because uh, the whole understanding about being a leader is knowing. Um, God's weaving our stories, both when you're talking about your bent and your experiences in life. He's yeah. weaving those um, for His glory, yep. and there's a reason that we're here. Yeah. And so that makes each person has an inherent value, whether I can see it or not. Yeah. And so my job is to understand, so what are you supposed to bring that only you can bring? Yeah. And, and how do I listen and hear that and understand it? Yeah, and that's what you do every day. Yeah. In your work, yes, it is, is no matter what you're sitting down with, what, what, whether it's a company, mm-hmm. whether it's a church, mm-hmm. a denomination, mm-hmm. uh, a book, a mm-hmm. podcast, whatever the venture is, is that you're sitting down and you're trying to pull out uh, the the story, mm-hmm. the the greatness, the even think, what you guys use yeah. meta. What did you meta say? Narrative. Meta yeah. narrative. Meta narrative. Meta narrative. Yeah. The story behind the story. <laughs> story yeah. behind yeah. the story. <laughs> What's that next tier of, yeah. of communication and language? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what you love doing. That's I your, do love doing that's that. your passion. Yeah. You did say earlier your passion's reading. Um yes. but being attention deficit how did that happen? Because you know there's what? a lot of, uh, and I, and I, and I'm very, I, I won't see a movie of a book I've read and I won't see a movie that was a book. No. Yeah. Cause it you'll ruins, never double up ruins it for me. So yeah. cause it takes me, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the me, books and movies that yeah, are out there. It takes Which me did there. you see? Or when read? I read a book, I I'm there. Yeah. It's a, I, uh, I can see the people. I can hear their voices. So from the time, I mean, I started reading probably when I was maybe four, 
and, yep. I'm, and reading always voraciously. Yeah. Um, and still do. I'm very fast, and I and I have a hunger to read. Yeah. And yep. so I read what I call uh, fast books. So because I like to read, uh, I like to read, you know, mystery books. And yeah. So I read a lot crime. I read a lot of those kind of books. <laughs> yeah. Crime. <laughs> yeah. I'm, just, I'm into crime. I like I love those crime. books. Yeah. And so I, there. So I have some books I read fast. Yeah. And some books I read slow. Some yeah. books I read that are digital, and some yep. books that I have to hold so that I can come back to them again and again and again and go back to those points. And I love... Um, I love that. Yeah, when I can read someone who's, who's putting something in a way that I've thought but never been able to say, yes. and I'm not a great writer. Do you have I'm, an example of that, uh, specifically the, the, maybe the last book you've read, that this writer is expressing something uh, through the written word that you've felt your whole life You've just never, you've yeah. never expressed. Uh, Elizabeth Gouge, and I told Steve this morning, I'm not even sure if that's how you say her last name. Sure. She's uh, an author from a long time ago, and uh, she's uh, from Europe. She's yep. a British author, and uh, she uh, uh, writes nonfiction. Yeah. Oh, no, she writes fiction. She writes fiction. Yeah. And I have a favorite book. I went through some pretty intensive counseling several years back, and, uh, and we read books. Yeah, that's what that's what the for the council. That's what the therapy was was books. No, and we, so it was like a, it was really extraordinary. And uh, can uh, I interrupt? Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I asked yeah. if I could, but I, mm-hmm. I'm going to anyways. Yeah. But it, it, so counseling, they're giving you books to read. Mm-hmm. How does that work? Like uh, we would come back, we would go and read them. They're identifying then, a problem or um, something to work through and saying, "Hey, yeah. here's a book that's mm-hmm. going to help." No, it was. Um, it was really wonderful, um, and I miss. I'd, I'd go back again today, but it was um, a group of women together and dealing with lots of different kinds of issues. And uh, Lottie, who was the counselor, who was extraordinary, um, she had a lot of different kinds of books that were coming of age stories, mm. and so not leadership books. Yeah. Not they were. Um, they were stories about people, yeah, and they were fiction, fiction books. Mm-hmm. And her extraordinary ability for us to read the chapter and then come back and discuss it and to talk about what each of us heard, what we saw, what we was how she was her vehicle yep. for counseling. Wow! And so it was that ability to, which for a person who loves words, you yeah. can have because. Uh, because as I'm reading it and understanding the journey of this young woman, I could see my journey in that journey. But the other women could see it also. Yeah. And so us being able to talk about it and share those things and have the group say, wow, I, I never even saw that. Show me that sentence again. So it was like a book group, but the purpose was helping you to uncover the wounding in your story, helping you to under uncover yeah. how God is speaking to you in a way you maybe don't know. Yeah. And these were not Christian books necessarily, yeah. And uh, but just really well written, great books. Yeah, I'm not telling yeah. you how to lead your life, but yeah. you should be Lottie. <laughs> you should do that, and you could do it virtually. Yeah, yeah. You could do it virtually. Women all over the country would join your book there you club. Go. There you go. And you could help yeah. them. 
Seriously, that's amazing. What the book was Elizabeth Gouge. Yeah. So the book that's really and the favorite one that I have of her, uh, and I have like twenty copies of this because like I they're you know they're not um, they're not in print anymore. Yeah. So I stay on eBay Stockpile. and these other places, and every time uh, one comes for sale, I buy it. Yes. So I so I, I buy them, buy them, buy them. And I thought, of course, I had one in Minneapolis, but I spent all my life on the road, and I thought I knew right where it was. Unfortunately, that's on the same shelf, but it's in, in Dallas. So I didn't have it to bring oh, today. Yeah. But I, and sometimes uh, when I've met with someone or just had a really interesting uh, conversation with someone, I give them a copy of it because I think yeah. you're going to have to understand um, – there's things in here that are racy that yeah. you have to understand. There's, you know, swear words and yeah. I mean, but there's a story that's beyond that. And not everybody is able to go beyond those things and hear what's yep. the meta narrative. Yeah. What's really, what's the strand that's pulling from beginning to end. And how do you see in that where your life has that same kind of a strand that's pulling through your story from beginning to end. Yeah. God is showing you it wasn't this, it wasn't this. It's all of these things together yeah. that are all weaving to make this beautiful story. Yeah. And uh, she has this part in there. Um, and I, so several things that, uh, uh, you know, there's chat, there's, pieces of books, there's paragraphs in books, when I just read that paragraph and I don't need to read the rest of the book. Like when I read The Shack, which I know people, it's crazy and controversial, and I will not see that movie. I know it will ruin that for me. (laughs) Well, we just need to tell those people to relax, But I actually, the introduction to The Shack is really all I needed to read. The introduction is an extraordinary piece of writing. And when you read just the introduction, you think, okay. Whew, I've been there. <laughs> I yes. didn't even need to read the book. No, I did read the book. But the there's paragraphs and pages and sentences that sometimes I read them and I just think, whew, wow. The fullness of the that person's ability to use language yes. to take me to yes. that place. Amazing. Yes. Amazing. I think that one of the most difficult things for me is because I spend my life with such amazing storytellers because so many of the people's books I work on, they are amazing storytellers. And when I've heard it, it's very... Well, you make them amazing storytellers. No, no, no. It's very (laughs) difficult to then read the book because to me... There's something, it's, it's never it's never the richness and the fullness yeah. of sitting there. And I always feel, that's why I always talk about that it's holy ground because yep. I said that when you're, when you're hearing someone tell their story and you're saying, well, you know, take me there, yep. help me to understand, you know, what, what did it feel like when that happened, you know? So do you remember what did it smell like that day? Was it a hot day? So as the yeah. person is telling that story that... Um, you're entering into it in a really powerful way. And a great book, yeah. you enter into the story. Yeah. You enter, it's like you're, you're there. You can imagine how the wind was feeling when it was hitting their face. And you just think, oh, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm there. But I think that there's a longing. Um, I have a, I moved a lot as a kid. Steve yep. and I have moved a lot. I'm very attention deficit. I go very fast. You guys live on planes. We live on planes. I go 100 miles an hour, but there's a longing inside of me for a belonging. Yeah. And I think that when I read that book, uh, let's see, Steve's trying to help me find that particular passage, but it's the, it's the different one, Steve. It's about home. 
But she talks in there, it says, uh, and I'll paraphrase it, yep. um, there's a point in the book where, um, where one of the people is asking the, yeah, or one of the people is asking the lead character in the book, uh, so where is home? Yeah. Where is home? And people ask me that a lot. So where do you live? Yeah. Where do you live? And I think, yeah, I always look at Steve and I think, so where, where do we live? Where do we live? Because we, we live in Minneapolis, but my heart is in so many places yeah. that uh, it's hard for me to know where do I live. Yep. And she talks about um, our home, our special country is for all of us the place where we find liberation, a difficult word that tries to describe something that can't be described but is the only thing worth having. Yeah. And so it's like... She goes on there to talk about that home is in your heart. It's a place in your heart. Yeah. It's a feeling of where you feel, then this is where I'm free. Yeah, It's Amazing. a feeling where you, you can breathe, where you can be, where who you are, and you're known. Yeah. I think people have, a, people have such a desire to be known, not yeah. known like social media, yeah, yeah. but to be known. Yeah. Where you're sitting at the table with people and they've journeyed with you and they know you and you yeah. know them. And uh, there's a longing for that. Yeah. I know that you, you know, what you're describing is that you can feel home no matter where you're at mm -hmm. in the world mm -hmm. um, because of what you just described. Is there a place on planet Earth that you feel that way? Like, because sometimes it's like, think of your happy place. Like, yeah. I think of Western yeah. Montana because that's where yeah. we went as kids. Yeah. That was vacation. Yeah. And so when I am trying to, if I'm in Minneapolis and I and I need to calm down or I need that feeling of home, like that's, I think of that place. Do you have a place that you think about or that when you think of home, I know you can feel home here. Yeah. Um, and maybe, mm. it is, maybe it is the North Loop Minneapolis. <laughs> I don't, I don't know that, uh, like, I think we, if, so if you're thinking about, I'm almost 60, yep. you know, I'm 58. Yep. And so, um, what does that mean at this point? You know, cause most of the people who are 58, uh, you're in a really, really different season of life. You're, a, yeah. you're winding down. Yep. Most people are already talking about retiring and they're trying to move to where their grandkids live and yep. they're, uh, they're just in a really different season. Yeah. And I feel like that I'm in a season where some of those longings he's uh, shaking from me, that there's something different that he wants that I don't quite understand yet. And if my home is in him, yep. that's where he wants my home to be. Yeah. And uh, it's not a place. It's not a – it's – you know, I love the beach. I love the ocean. I love when I'm with, and I don't know, my other two grandkids are smaller. Yeah. You know, they're littler. Yeah. Um, Xander is three. I am most me when I'm holding his hand and we're just walking and talking. And when yeah. we're sitting down, one of the things I love to do with him is to sit down and say, on his front steps and say, what do you hear? Yeah. And for us to just listen to the silence and say, what do you see? Because I, I want him to know and understand not the pace of life, but the things that life is made of. Yeah. And so, um, no, that's great. Yeah. Does that, yeah. Yeah. I, I think the answer, I, I love your phrase where you're most me, mm -hmm. where you're, where yeah. I'm most me. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just people listening, like, where are you most 
yourself, you know, and can you, yeah, I think there's people too that like, and sometimes I feel this way that, that sometimes I can be most me and it's, but I can only do that with me. And I want, I, I want my marriage to be a place mm-hmm. where I can be most me with Kaylee. I want to have an inner circle of friends, um, that are close, where I can be most me. And I think there are some things that for sure that I need to keep working through, um, to expand that circle a little bit. Yes. So it's not just me, you know? Uh, and, and actually sometimes I feel that way about my daughter. Like, mm-hmm. so when I'm just hanging with my three-year-old daughter, she's, three-year-old's she's, a very special, yeah, she's, a special the, age. she's the only daughter right yeah. now that I can have a conversation yes. with. And when it's just me and her, like, it's crazy how, mm-hmm. but, but part of it is I've still view myself as a child mm-hmm. as well. So when I'm with my child, it's like, it's epic. I, here's a question for you that I was thinking about just knowing your journey. Do you, when you think about your future and you said 58's the age where you start thinking about winding down, um, and you, and you're thinking about there's something that he wants that. And that's how you described it. Mm-hmm. Something that he wants and I'm trying to figure out what that is. Is there a fear uh, at all that you're not going to not gonna find that out? Or is there uh, he's actually he's going to bring it to me? I think that uh, it's really important to be positioning yourself for God to be able to use you in your very best way. Yep. And the where I am in my age is that there you know a lot of times and i you know river valley talks about this and other people step into the yes yeah and i think that that i'm at a a place where it's that obedience is about the nose obedience is about what what do i need to cut out what do i need to not do how do i position myself for for whatever this next season looks like in a different way yep and so it isn't as crazy as it sounds, I spent a large part of my life being afraid of the yeses. And so, uh, and stepping into those and knowing that each time I put my fears and doubts and did it anyway, that yep. he did, because I very rarely did anything I ever knew how to do. Yeah. And, and I was, it's really better because then I'm, it's more covered in prayer. If I already know how to do it, you probably shouldn't have me do it. <laughs> if I don't know how to do it, it's going to drive me to my knees. That's always a better yes. place to be. But there's something about this season that's that's about what am I not supposed to do? What's not mine to do? Yeah. So that it will position me, leave time for me to do the things that he has for me that are only mine, yeah. that the journey to this point was about. Yeah. And the more I'm not afraid to say no, yeah. which is so funny because yeah. you're always afraid Your to say yes is no. Yeah. yeah. And I think the more that I do that, um, the freer... I'm going to be inside, yeah. the more I'm going to be able to hear, and this is what I have for you. Yeah. And no doubt, whatever that is, that's going to be frightening, frightening, fearful, and and wounding, and all of those things together. But at the same time, uh, it's that ability to see there's something greater coming behind me than ever yeah. went before me. Yeah. And I really do see, you know, I use the hashtag a lot, live a legacy. It's yes. not leave a legacy, it's live, live yeah. a legacy. Yeah. And it's that understanding uh, I want to be sure that everything I'm doing has something behind me that's coming, yeah. that uh, the things behind me, the people I talk to, the things that I'm building, growing, that uh, that they're going to have a bigger meeting than this moment, yeah. that they're going to have a life beyond that. Great. 
What are you excited about over the next 10 years? Like when you dream about, I mean, right now you, you feel like it's positioning. So saying mm-hmm. no to some things to position you for whatever mm-hmm. it is he has for you. Um, but maybe there's some things that you do see that you're excited for over the next 10 years. It's kind of a crazy question. I think I, I'm a goal-oriented, driven person who finds myself in a season with no goals. And I think that that's, there's something very freeing about that. Yeah. And knowing uh, he, I could have never mapped out the journey to this moment. There's no way possible to. So why would you try to map out yeah, this? I yeah. feel like he has, and I think we're living in times we don't fully understand and what it means in our country to be a believer, yeah. what it means to be an American, yeah. what it means that my family is from all different countries, that um, I just feel like I, I can't know where he's going and where he's going to take me. I just want to be ready. Yeah. I just want to be ready. And I want to not be afraid, and I want to be not afraid of people who don't think like me or walk like me or talk like me yep. because I believe the best way to be Jesus is to simply be love and to be uh, to be me. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Yeah, 100%. I think I'm amazed that you're saying it. I know people that are your age, and I don't mean old people um, because you have a lot of life and things that you're going to do amazing ahead of you. But I think your generation can come across as afraid of everything different, you know, and afraid of change. And um, and that might be my bad judgment, too, that's saying that. Uh, but I'm really grateful that you're saying that, is let's not be afraid of what's different. Let's not be afraid of change. Let's not be afraid... And partly because we don't understand mm-hmm. the days that we're living in and how fast things are changing. And so if you're if you're if you don't want to deal with anybody different and you don't want to deal with change, then this life I think will eat you up, you know. And so I just appreciate that you're saying that because I don't hear it a lot from people that are in your generation because they would just rather not deal with the change or not, you know. I think it's I think it's frightening. Yeah. I think that the world is changing really fast and there's a lot we don't understand. Yeah. And I think we just have to be comfortable in knowing. And I think about this a lot in the political climate and all those things. Okay, well, wait a minute. I've got this thing. It's called the Bible and I've read Revelation. Yeah. I know I know who the victor is. Yeah. I know I I know the story is painful, but I also know the end. Yeah. And so uh I don't want to miss that there are great things to be done in the kingdom that I don't know how to do yet, and I don't know what they are, but I, I want to get to be a part of Let's them. Let's figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's your drive for learning, mm-hmm. too. It is, yes. That's going to go with you mm-hmm. till the day you die mm-hmm. is let's keep learning, mm-hmm. keep learning. It's amazing. Thank you so much for being here and walking us through a little bit of your journey and life. And um, one thing I think about you and Steve is just – and I'm really grateful you've helped Kaylee and I just even from a distance see a world that's bigger, you know, that you can live a big life. Um, and, and you guys are living a life that I've never known a couple that's living the type of life that you are. Um, but yet you're still family focused. Um, but you're all over the world and doing amazing things for the kingdom, even behind the scenes, just, amazing things for the kingdom that maybe nobody will ever know, you know, because your name's not on the books and your name's 
not in the, in the spotlight or, but, but I appreciate that you've shown us a world that is bigger than we've known before. And that the world is also smaller than we've known before that you can get on a plane and you can fly it back the next day and that can be normal, you know? And so I appreciate you and your story, your journey, two questions. Maybe you've already answered, but the first one is, uh, what's your favorite book of all time? I think my favorite book of all time is uh, Just Courage by um, Gary Haugen. Yeah. yeah. And I think uh, that book was a game changer for me because it talks about in there, so are you going to live afraid or are you going to be courageous? Yes. And uh, and I love that. Yeah, I don't want to live afraid. Yeah, yeah. courageous. And mm-hmm. the second question is, um, if you have one piece of advice um, for somebody following in your footsteps, what would you give them? And I like painting the picture a little bit of who that person could be. You know, maybe it's a, a young person that has had attention deficit disorder. Maybe it's a young person that uh, is just trying to, they're just striving and filling their time or, you know, what would you say to them in trying to make it through this life? You know, maybe it's somebody that is afraid of change or afraid of people that are different than them. You know, anyways, you can choose who you want to talk to. I just <laughs> yeah. like, I just like painting a picture of one of those seven people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, just somebody following in your footsteps. Yeah. Who? That's a, um, I feel very cautious about giving advice. Um, cause I, I feel like, uh, I made a lot of mistakes. I found myself in a lot of places I didn't intend to be. Um, I think the important thing to remember is, is that God can redeem wherever yeah. you are. And that he has a plan for you, no matter how dark it seems, no matter how lonely you are, no matter how far from God you are, no matter how desperate you feel, he designed you. There's a purpose, there's a reason, and he can redeem those darkest places. Yes. And I think uh, to know uh, you're never too far and uh, there's always a plan. Yeah, We just can't always see it. Great. I don't know if that's what you were asking. No, it's great advice. You should give yeah. more advice. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. No. <laughs> I don't like to give advice. No, you should. No, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Great I job. appreciate it. We're yeah. Yeah, honored yeah. to have And you, I do so. think one of the things you haven't mentioned is I am the oldest person that's been on your podcast. So yes. I, I think I should get like some kind of an award or something for that. You like this get cup an award, here, but not, the making of an exception yeah, we'll mug, mug, I think is what I should get. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, you will get a mug. I promise. Very good. Make Very it good. I'm going to hold you to These that. These are just the only two in existence. Okay, well, I'll right take now. that one. I'll take one of those. No, we're going to get some. You can take one. I don't care. I forget what I was going to say. This has been great. Thanks so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. If you've enjoyed this podcast, be sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube or anywhere podcasts are found. To stay connected with what we're doing, you can also follow us on Instagram at Exception Podcast and visit our website at exceptionpodcast.co. New episodes are releasing every Friday. If you know someone who is an exception to the rule and want us to share their story, you can let us know on our website. We're always on the lookout for new stories to share. Until next time, remember, as a rule, be an exception to the rule. Peace. Peace.